Hey folks, this is Dr. Rob, and welcome to Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction, a podcast brought to you by Seeking Integrity Treatment Programs and hosted by me and my sidekick, Tammy. Say hi, Tammy. Hi, Dr. Rob. Thank you. Our show provides useful answers to your most asked questions about cheating, betrayal, and addiction. Let's get started. So the first question is, how is a sex addict able to treat their acting out partner so well while treating their real life partner so poorly while in addiction, ignoring no compliments, no romance, et cetera? That's a great question. It's so painful. I, you know, I hear the pain. and You know, when I'm acting out with an affair partner or someone that I'm seeing regularly for some kind of hookup, you have to understand that I have no responsibility to them. I don't know them. I don't have to do the laundry with them. I don't have to watch them get fat. You know, I don't have any responsibility and all I'm doing is having sex and fun with them. So for me, you know, in those moments, it's like, woo, this is great. This is fantastic. You know, it's not like at home where things are difficult and I have so much to do and people are nagging me all the time. So I think in some ways it's much easier for a sex addict to idealize that situation, that affair or that hookup or whatever, because it isn't real life. And then we compare it to real life. And that gives us a reason to say, oh, look how crappy my real life is with this person or, you know, whatever we say about you. So now I get to do this. Um, So yeah, it works in a whole bunch of ways. It's not only done because we idealize that person and we are devaluing you. We devalue you so that we can go and do that. It gives us permission to say, oh, well, this person's a nag and blah, blah, blah. So I deserve to go do that. So I think it, it, there's two ways to answer the question. And hopefully that's helpful. Yeah, I thought justification. I mean, it, you know, just like you were saying, it's, oh, this is so bad, but look, you know, I deserve to have, you know, but it is not real life at all. And um, you know, there's no bill paying garbage, taking out all those other things. So, okay. So next question. Now I'm back to the open one. So I'm a 55 year old heterosexual woman. And my partner of seven years is sex, love, and porn addict who just recently started therapy with a CSAT. So it's very early in the healing process. His primary acting out partner about twice a week for three years has been his ex-wife who never accepted their divorce and has been very open about still being in love with him and wanting to remarry him. She knew he was in a relationship with me during their affair. The sexual part of their relationship ended when I discovered it several months ago. My dilemma is this. My partner's ex-wife has multiple sclerosis and has some physical disabilities, cognitive issues, and emotional issues. To complicate things, she was recently in a terrible pedestrian accident, and though she will recover, it has been a long, sad, painful recovery. My partner has no problem immediately cutting off all contact with his four other affair partners. However, he has stated that he is unwilling. I'm sure this goes on uh, right here. To cut, scroll down a couple. To cut off contact with his ex because she is the mother of their three adult children and because so of her health problems, what blah, blah, blah. Are the- What's the question? What advice do you have for me right at the end? What advice? I don't feel safe with her in the picture uh in any way because sexting was such a a huge part. What advice do you have for me? Uh, I think that that you're, you say you're not married. I think your partner's giving you all the- No, they, they, I think they are married. She said, I'm a 50 uh, and, and, oh, and my, my partner, partner seven my years. Partner. Okay, yeah, so you're not married, married to this right. person yet or, or not. And um, I guess what I would say to you is, I think he is still married. And I think he is still married to the woman that he was married to before. And divorce is just a piece of paper. 
And, you know, I don't want to go as far as to say that you got used for a few years while he was trying to figure out he wanted to go back to his partner. But I see, at least as I read this, this is someone who's already gone back to their spouse. They're caregiving for their spouse. They're engaged with their spouse. They're being sexual with their spouse. And she wants to marry him. So, you know, I'm not sure what it is you have except that something that's kind of a name only, because it feels like that other person is getting at least as much attention as you're getting. And that wouldn't be a relationship that I would want to be in. So Tammy, do you have, did I get that right? Uh, yeah. Yeah. To me, long question. Yeah, it is a long, it, there's a lot. And clearly, you know, I mean, I feel sorry for the ex who's got lots of other health issues and stuff like that, but he knowingly, you know, chose to do this. And clearly, you know, he's a sex and porn and love addict and all of that type of thing. He's got a long ways to go before he figures out who he is. But you also stated in the second part, like he's unwilling to cut off ties because of the children and all that type of thing. He's so married. Yeah. 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 I mean, he's really giving you data that no, you know, so, so, um, so this may be one to consider grieving the loss of the relationship you hoped for. Well, it's interesting because now this person, she, now she's the affair partner. Now she's the per, you know, person who isn't part of the family. And it's uh, it's awful place to be. I think you need yeah. to take care of yourself and yeah. really examine what it means to be loved by someone. Yeah. And we have multiple trade partner groups. I was mentioning before we started that Troy Love has the attachment wounds one for betrayed partners this Thursday at 11 a.m. Pacific time. Great content would invite you to consider that, but we have the old lady posse on Tuesday morning. We've got the, how much do those cost, Tammy? Can I finish? And then I'll tell you, Oh, I'm sorry. You go ahead. And then we've got the Betrayed Partner Group on Wednesday afternoons, Pacific time, and Thursday mornings, another one, all pro-dependent aligned. And all of those are free, just like all the men's drop-in groups are as well, on sexandrelationshiphealing.com, along with Dr. Rob's fabulous podcast series, Sex, Love, and Addiction. So, Well, what okay. we're doing right now is part of that. Correct. That thing that we do. Yes. And I'm sorry to interrupt you. You're absolutely right. Good. That wasn't nice good. of me. No, but it's we good. have to do repair in front of others. We can't pretend that. So I apologize. It's all good. So we have the next question is I'm a betrayed partner. I only recently found out my essay was cheating for the last year and a half and confronted my partner who begrudgingly confessed after I presented proof. He admitted he is a sex addict and has prior issues and should, and should start therapy. He since, um, he's since been withdrawn and I found out further information about more affairs. Do I push him to talk again? Do I wait for him to bring it up? I don't, or I know I can't force him into recovery. We live together and I feel like I'm in limbo. You are so. I'm sorry. I'd love you to start that, but I do want to say that um, I just feel so sad for this person. Um, So many partners, you know, I don't, when you get slammed with things, you just had no idea you knew what you knew and now you know all this. And it's just so overwhelming, I think, to see this new reality um, in ways you never wanted to. But Tammy, I, I think this would be a good one for you to start with, if you don't mind. Well, I, I, yes and no. I think all of those betrayed partner resources that I uh, shared with you uh, or shared with the last person. I hundred uh, percent recommend those for you as well. Then they're all free. There is support for you. This is like you said, you're in limbo. This has rocked your world. You know, th- that's really difficult. You can't force him into recovery, but um, as Dr. Rob can attest, the guys that come to our treatment program, 
it's not because they decided to be a really nice person. I'm going to learn to be good. It's like there's negative consequences. So having a negative consequence that's real, we talk about boundaries a lot and, and Dr. Rob can elaborate on that more, but having, you know, a set boundary may, you know, show him that it's time to change. So, um, but support for you, regardless of what he does. Um, and unfortunately, yeah, forcing him to talk, I, I would say is counterproductive because you're more likely to just hear uh, more information than you can process or tolerate or have support for. So there's a thing called the uh, therapeutic disclosure. That's what, you know, I mean, it's, there's a lot. So keep coming back. So Dr. Rob. Well, I just, I'm struck by, I only recently found out. And I think, you know, what I think a lot of times partners have only recently found out, and I know some of you won't believe this because you're in a different place, but some partners immediately move into, well, how do I fix this? How do I make this better? This is sad. This isn't what I wanted. And I think what they miss, and it might be missing from this for this person is their anger. Because if I had only recently found out that this person was cheating on me, and I'm going to say it in a different way. And, and, uh, for a year, last year and a half, and then I confronted them and then they, they only begrudgingly told me that. And then there's probably a whole bunch more that I don't know about. And then he wasn't leaking forward and saying, I'm so, so sorry. And I can't believe I did this to you. And why aren't I dealing with this problem? And I would be thinking, why aren't I furious? Why haven't I changed the locks? You know? So when I hear this kind of question, if you'd said, Two years in, and um, you know, it would be different, but my experiences with partners in the early stages is it's very, very hard to look at the reality of what you're dealing with. And it's almost like in the beginning, it's almost like grief. It's part of grief. It's a denial. It's like, well, I'll just focus on him and make it better and we'll figure this out. And, and you're, you know, or bargaining. If he does this, will I be able to do that? And, but you know, what, what comes after that is just anchor. And I think that you're going to get there. And I agree with Tammy. I think sitting in some of the women's support groups or men's, if you have a female sex addict, it's, you know, a lot of you will say, oh, I don't want to sit around with those other losers. You know, they're all, and I just say, these people are fierce. (laughs) They are fierce protectors of each other. I don't like it when the groups start to turn toward all of the things they don't like about the people they're with, because I think they can feed on themselves in a really negative way. But I think with those women are really fierce about supporting each other and growing together and connecting. That's when they're a gift. And I wouldn't think those are a bunch of victims sitting around whining. Believe me, they are not. Um, I use the term resilient often because you hear, you know, the path that they've been forced on really. I mean, this is not of their own choosing. So this is forced on them and, and they come through and they're strong, fierce, resilient. So, so you can always email me, Tammy, T-A-M-I at seekingintegrity.com. And I will be happy to connect you with more resources. Okay, next question. Hi, I'm a betrayed partner. My SA husband is two and a half years since he's been in rehab, going to meetings three times a week in therapy. We never did a formal disclosure, just what he told me one night on the phone. I have now asked for a proper therapeutic disclosure with a polygraph. He is angry, blaming my therapist, crying and saying he doesn't want to re-traumatize me. And so he is not doing it for my sake. I feel like this behavior points to him still lying or withholding information with all of your experience. What does this sound like to you? Well, this is a tough one, right? Cause I don't know these folks. So I will play this from either direction. Um, 
if I had been working as a sex addict for two and a half years and I went through rehab and I, I seemed to be doing well and I was going to meetings and I was in therapy and I thought I was doing well and it had been two and a half years, I would be really concerned that going through all of this right now could completely blow up the work that we've done for two and a half years. And I'm not sure that I'd be coming from a place that I was trying to lie to you, or maybe I might think there's some things I forgot, or even if there's something I didn't tell you, I, I would be really, really reticent as the addict to want to blow everything up at two years. And I have to ask you as a partner, is this really what you want to do at two and a half years? If you see your spouse, you know, one of the things I think about being a partner is you don't have to in any way accept what's happened to you. You should be furious. But at a certain point when you're a year or two in and this person's really doing their work, your anger becomes counterproductive. You want to say, hey, I'm not as angry because I see you doing your part and we're getting more honest and hopefully the couple's getting closer. So from an addict perspective, what you're and maybe from my perspective, what you're doing is you're maybe blowing up the work that you've already done. And if you are so suspicious and so uncomfortable and so fearful about things that you haven't heard about, um, I don't know, it's a tough one, Tammy. So on the other side, I would not want to be a betrayed spouse who didn't have disclosure. And I wouldn't want to be a betrayed spouse who didn't know that they knew fully what had gone on. I don't think I would run, in, run out there for polygraphs at all. I think that's a little extreme in the beginning. I'm kind of frustrated that every partner thinks that the, what they absolutely need is a polygraph. I, don't, I think that's a myth. I think that's been perpetuated by some angry partners, but that was never how their work was organized or designed. So I wouldn't worry so much about a polygraph. I would just say, you know, and, uh, and okay. And then I go back to, he's angry. He's blaming my therapist. He's crying. He's saying he doesn't want to re-traumatize me. How about this? He doesn't, he doesn't want to re-traumatize you as a couple. So a couple of things. Would it be helpful for you to get this? I don't know. Would it be good for your relationship two and a half years in when he's been working really hard, if that's true for you guys to do this? I don't, I wouldn't lean that way. Um, is it, does this mean that he's lying or withholding information? I don't know, but you know, I don't know. So I guess I would say, what is your goal here? You know, do you want to find out everything that ever happened that you don't know? Do you want to try to find ways to move on or, you know, or, or you know, or do you really think he's lying? I mean, I don't, I don't know, Tammy, there's a lot of things here. Do you want, and we have a lot of people waiting. So yes. Yeah. Real no, quick. I, yeah. I mean, it's a tough. there is there. Is, yeah. There's a lot of emotions and I, you know, I think, Perhaps the the two of you with each of your therapists having a conjoint session to talk about the pros and cons and why, you know, that might be the next step because those two therapists will know you and, you know, and you can lay out your case of why you want this and, you know, he can lay out his case for why not. So, so, you know, if you are seeing good progress, with every addict, there's bad stuff. There's bad stuff. I mean, that, that's how they, you know, get into recovery is there's bad stuff. So, you know, knowing all the gory details, is it going to be helpful for you? If there's something that you absolutely need to know and you can't move on without it, then maybe, but otherwise, you know, just understand that there's a, you know, there's a rocky road behind you and you're moving forward. I guess I want to add one thing and I don't mean to go, go but it, I'd be curious why after two and a half years, you now think you need this. And, you know, I might think about, did you find something? Did you see something? Did he, did he lie about something? In other words, you know, why now um, is always a question we ask for therapy and you could have demanded and gotten, you know, this clarity right after he went to residential treatment or, you know, why is this now all of a sudden so important? And that would be, I guess, part of what I would ask myself. Let's move on, Tam.
Well, I just want to say, and if it's because everybody else is telling you that you have to do this, they're not in your shoes, you know, their support, but everybody's journey is different. And I'm with Dr. Rob with the polygraph. It's gotten to be so commonplace, but there's no protocol. So, okay. Next question. Do you have any advice or suggestions for an essay who can't seem to find a sponsor in any of the groups that he participates in? Uh, well, yeah, I would say, well, Tammy, how about you? You, you would, you'd be great at answering this question. Remember everyone's online now too. So yeah, yes. And I was going, my first thought was why, you know, why are, are, you know, why is there no one in these rooms? You know, so that was my, like, what's keeping you from being able to get a sponsor? Because in the meetings I go to, people can raise their hand and say, I need a sponsor. We also have, I know that there is peer support through our drop-in groups. And I do also know that the guys that have been in the Sex and Love Addiction 101 work groups have created some outside the structure of the 90-minute psychoeducational lecture series and all of that. They've com- created some peer support groups to help support each other as well. So there are opportunities within the sex and relationship healing.com network of, of opportunities that may be useful to you. But if you're going to your S groups and you're raising your hand and saying, I need a sponsor and they're temporary, you don't even have to go like, this is a lifelong commitment that I have to like screen these people so well so that, you know, I'm, you know, it isn't. So you find somebody who can help you for this phase of your recovery. So that was my thought. Yeah. And mine is just, you know, uh, it's kind of like dating. Dating is a numbers game. You have to date a lot of people and some people give up after one or two. Um, it's sort of like how many people have you asked and have you asked in an open forum and have you said something, which I would say like, you know, I've been having trouble finding somebody and, and that's frustrating to me. And I really need help here. You know, sometimes addicts need a little bit of an emotional push. Maybe someone will say, you know, I've got time for the next two months, but then I want you to find someone else. As Tammy said, this isn't a lifelong commitment. And remember the goal of finding a sponsor, not the goal, but one of the ways I would find someone is who has got something I want. You know, if my relationship is a mess and I can see someone who's really gotten theirs back on track and they've got two kids and I've got two kids, that'd probably be a good person for me to be with. And then if they started not, being the person I wanted because I had other goals, I might find someone else. But I don't, sometimes we're a little picky and I don't like the way they look, right? You know, can they help you? Are they a role model? Can they work with you for a few months? Go for it. And ask. And if they say no, you won't melt into the, you know, into right, the Right, ask someone else. It's, it's, <laughs> yeah, it's, you, you know, it's rejection. It hurts, but ask, ask the next person, so. Okay, next question. I have not acted out for 18 months, but I still struggle with sexual desires. I've been working with a therapist and visit your groups often, but I can't get past the obsession. Thoughts? Well, this is a bit of a confusing question because on the one hand, really because I don't know what obsession means. Um, When you say you're struggling with sexual desires, I have sexual desires every day. I live in Southern California. I watch sexual desires jog down the street every day. And I don't say to myself, what's wrong with me for having those desires. And by the way, my spouse has lived with me long enough that I don't hear, well, why are you looking at that person? I'm human. I look, I have this, I don't stare, but I notice, you know, because that's what men do. That's what I do. But I don't stare and I don't make people uncomfortable. I don't make my spouse uncomfortable. So the idea of struggling with sexual desires, it sounds like you want to eliminate sexual desires. Now there's a difference between that word and the word obsession. To me, obsession is 
you know, I can't stop thinking about the porn and I keep wanting to look at the porn and I have three affair partners and I keep wanting to call. It's very different. It's something related to the addiction rather than just, I don't know, to me is be sort of, I'm not going to get a good example here, Tam, you're going to have to fix it. But um, some people like to drink socially and they drink every once in a while. All of a sudden they hate themselves for drinking. I don't know why. Other people drink a lot and it's really a problem for them. And when they're drinking, then it is more an obsession than it is. So I think there were mixing apples and oranges. Tammy, can you give a quick thought to that one? Well, I, and I was thinking, um, you know, we talk often about the three circles and like, it feels like you're in the middle circle or thinking about like, I don't want to get to that inner circle, but it doesn't feel like you're engaging in your outer circle, which are the healthy things. You know, if you're really living in, you know, I was talking to Dr. Robin earlier today and we're talking about weekends and like he was in his outer circle, he's doing life engaging things with his spouse and with his dog. And, you know, like that's all good. And then I bet in those moments, you know, obsession about, you know, sexual desires is not really happening. The more we're, well, I don't know. I shouldn't speak. No, I know. Really. I'm, out running or paddleboarding or whatever, like I'm focused on what's around me and how cool is this? And, you know, all of those type of things, not, you know, not my addictive brain, you know? So that was my thought. I'm going to put in the chat after the next question. Um, Cause I, I was thinking you may find that the sex and um, porn addiction 101 work group might be a good fit for you. We have another one starting May 3rd and it's, it's online. I, that might be a, something that might help. So I will add that. Okay, next question. My husband is a PASA. I discovered his affair eight months ago, and when I confronted him, he admitted it. I did not suspect beforehand. My husband thinks he did not gaslight me. He admits to lying and omitting, but feels that gaslighting is intentionally manipulating partner's reality, and he says he didn't do that since he admitted it. I disagree. Can there be a PASA without gaslighting? Uh, I would trust your gut there. I think now I may say I didn't really do this to you, but this, this thing called denial and addicts do a really good job of, con we do a really good job of convincing ourselves that we didn't really hurt you. We didn't really mean to hurt you. We didn't hurt you in the way you're described. What we don't want to look at is the fact that we hurt you. And so what he's doing is he's like playing a naming game. He's playing a, a, a game with words. Well, it wasn't really this. It was really that who cares? You felt used, you felt adva taking advantage of, you felt like you weren't being told the truth. And isn't that enough? You know, we don't need to, he's arguing about a name. I think that he is avoiding the reality of what he's done. And you are maybe a little too willing to be led down that road rather than staying with your, which if I were a partner, I don't care what we have and call it. You ruined my life, you know, something like that. And I was, yeah, it's semantics. Um, but, you know, he lied. He probably, well, he lied to himself because he's lying to himself about, well, I didn't really hurt you. I was, I was lying by omitting and that's not really, so yeah, it feels like manipulating the words so that I don't have to feel so bad about what I did. Our program, our, our men's residential treatment program is called Seeking Integrity. And we work against the lying and the omitting. Our clinical director uses the phrase, uh, tell the truth and tell it faster with the clients all the time, because it's not just lying about the sexual acting out, it's lying about all those other things as well. And, and so it's all part of the, you know, the fabric of addiction that we need to address. So stopping the behavior is the first step to all of this, but then getting to the underlying lies and everything else and um, is part of how we heal. 
I wanted to add something to this that please, um, you know, uh, and this has happened with so many of the men. And I think a couple of guys who are in treatment actually this week, to be honest with you. But, um, for many, many years, I've had men, you know, heterosexual men who were cheating on a woman come into my office and say, well, you know, I've been a crappy husband. I mean, I've been an awful male partner. You know, I've done this to her and I've done that to her. And then I'll say, well, you know, who else is at home? And, oh, I have these lovely kids. and I love my kids. And I'll, and I'll ask them, well, do you think you've been a good dad? And they immediately rush in to assure me that, oh, well, I picked them up for their games and I used to volunteer for this and that. And, you know, and I used to do their homework with them or none of the above. And I'll say, so you think you were a good dad? Yes, I do. I was just a terrible husband. And then I have to say, well, but wait a minute. If you're not supporting the wife of your children, if she is anxious or feeling overwhelmed or feeling like what she sees as reality isn't true, if you're not supporting this woman who has to parent these children, then you're not supporting your children. And so, no, you haven't been a great father. And I say stuff, men get very angry at me because what I'm saying to them is I'm bringing to them a truth. It's really hard to deny that truth. You know, every hour you spend, every dollar you spend, every, you could have been with those kids or could have gotten their college fund or could have made their, I mean, there's just no way you can really make that argument. But most of the men I work with don't think about it that way. And so I'm just talking to you, uh, I'm using this as an example of denial where I do not want to look at, and this is what men do in treatment is one of the ways that we help them. Well, let me just say this. And Tammy understands this. I think I'm not going to keep you from acting out in your life. I can't, I'm not going to be in your life. I'm not going to be there to slap your hand when you turn on the porn, but I'll tell you what treatment does. I'm going to ruin it for you. You're never going to go back to your behavior and not understand what it costs your family. You're never going to go back into that behavior and not know what it's costing you and your life and the precious time we have here. You're not going to go back in the behavior without understanding how it affects your spirituality. So Part of our work, and it always thought this way in addiction, is to ruin the addiction for people. doesn't mean they're not going to go back to it, but they can't go back to it without really understanding what it's doing to their kids and their family. And ultimately, I think that makes them do it less. So anyway, I think this person doesn't want to look at how bad it was because it may, he doesn't want to see that. Well, and it's very difficult. I mean, if acting out is about not feeling, numbing out, and now having to confront and face these devastating problems, we don't have any place to escape to if we're not doing our acting out. So, so it is really challenging in that in between until we have good recovery tools that we can use to help, um, to help us. But there's one more thing in there. I discovered as a fair eight months ago, what is he doing about it? Has he been to a therapist? Has he been to a treatment program? Has he been to, is he in therapy? Is he in 12 step meetings? You know, it's enough to say I discovered it, but, um, what is he doing? This would make me, this would be more important to me than whatever he says or doesn't say is, is he doing things that I can actively see to change it? Or he's still sitting in front of Netflix waiting for the next episode of whatever. Um, because it's not enough to acknowledge it and say, I'm sorry. He has to do some work around it. Um, and meanwhile, he's arguing with you about semantics. I wonder what he's actually doing for himself and his own healing. I often say if we pursue our recovery with the same energy we pursued our addiction, we'll do really well. So, okay. Uh, Next question. Myself, SA, and my partner are about to start the journey to formal disclosure and polygraph with CSATs. So noted 
what Dr. Rob said about that earlier. We would like it done quickly. My partner doesn't want it dragged out. Do you know anything about three-day intensives mm -hmm. or cramming it into a few weeks? Can this be as effective of taking three months like most seem to take? Well, there's like nine questions in there. Yes. But I can basically say my experience of disclosure when I ran an outpatient program. I don't think disclosure should be a weekend. I don't think disclosure should be a whole day. I think that a couple in crisis can take little bits and then they need time to take it. So there are people I know who do disclosure weeks. I'm like, oh my God, what a nightmare. Or they have disclosure listed or 12 pages. This is not what it's about. It's simply about sitting down and telling your partner in an inventory-like fashion. It may even feel cold to you. And that's for, on, for a purpose because we're not saying, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, or please feel sorry for me because I hurt you. We're just wanting to give you the information. That's the goal. And it's to say that I did this, I did this, I did this, this is how many times, this is what it cost, you know, this is when I did it, when you thought I was here or there, um, and it's not graphic, and that's it. So in my experience working in outpatient therapy and running it, I would say, well, I think from the day I met the, 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 the addict and their partner, I would say, I think it'll be about six to, ten, six to eight weeks before we do disclosure. And what I did for that time with the person who'd been acting out was we went through a lot of intricate and involved timelines because a lot of times we don't remember where we were, what we did. So the last thing I'd want your, this person to do is say, well, here it is, and then have forgotten something. So we work really hard on them stopping the behavior, but also on them coming to terms of what everything that they did do. And that can take six or eight weeks. In the meantime, you should be getting support and being in a group and having other women around and other people to support you. And so when you do do that disclosure thing, and I'm saying this for everyone, not for this person, uh, we just don't want to tell, tell you and you go stumbling out of the office and you're by yourself. You know, it's not just about the person who's saying it, it's about you having the security and stability. So your eight weeks is about, you know, getting a therapist, getting a support group, all that stuff. And then when you come together, I think instead of a hour session to be a two hour session, you know, and we would go through the reasons we're doing this and we'd go through this and you can ask your questions. And then I probably schedule an appointment for the next day. And how are you guys doing? And what else came up? And, you know, and, you know, and so, and we would maybe stay monitor, mo you know, your therapist would monitor you, your other person would monitor them. So I don't think that three months is reasonable. Um, I think that that doesn't make any sense to me. I, I wonder why someone would need, um, three months. On the other hand, I think if they don't give it long enough, they're not going to know exactly what they've done. And I will put in a plug now. I will put in a plug for the online uh, workshops that I created because I just have a book a workbook on recovery. I divided into three and we said, guys, sit here with someone with a coach and basically go through this with people who understand it. And the reason I talk about that is part of that is them looking at their history of behavior. And I think to work on an inner group where they can begin to say, okay, let me take a good look at it. Um, with other, and by the way, the guys will get on and say, wait, what do you mean? Did you, you know, even in that kind of group, they'll challenge each other. But, uh, and also there's one more thing, CSAT. Right. So Tammy now know what a, is a certified sex addiction therapist. And there are some great ones. And there's some one there's some ones that aren't that good because they're not good therapists, not just they're good CSATs. And I won't say any names, but I will say that um, this process should be very clear to you, to both of you, how long it takes, what you're going to do. There shouldn't be any arguments or disagreements because they're running it. Now, you may say, I need another week or two or can we, you know, or, but within the boundaries, they should set it up. You shouldn't be at. In other words, I'm just. 
I don't know why the client would be asking these questions. If you know what I mean, Tammy? So yes. And I want to be a little devil's advocate in this too, because if all you're doing is going to your therapist for 15 minutes a week, it takes longer. What Dr. Rob was describing was a process. And, you know, like he said, we're really combing through the timelines and all of that type of thing. Un I hear often from therapists and other people who are like nine months or a year into it, but it, it's taking that long for the person to get on board. Now I, you know, do I think that they could have benefited from treatment or something like that to help expedite the process? If, if an addict is doing the bare minimum and only checking off the box of going to their therapist, it's going to take longer. But for the partner to have a really clear, just like Dr. Rob was talking about, a really clear and, you know, something that there's confidence and with the point of building a foundation of, of moving forward, that's what you want. And, and getting, you know, this is our fifth disclosure. This is our fifth formal disclosure. You know, that's horrible. So that's not what you want either. So, so having really well-trained people who can gauge where each of you are and what it's really going to take for you to both be able to do that. I'm not a huge fan of the three-day intensives. I know people who have done them and have done them successfully. I also know that I've heard the crash and burns. So, so yeah, you know, everybody gets to pick and, um, you know, for the people that are, well, we just can't wait, you know, I, like, I always wonder, you know, what, what is taking a pause and doing something right really going to cost you? And some, sometimes there's something real, but you know, a lot of times it's like, I just, I just want to know, well, of course you want to know. I mean, that's understandable, but you know, like if you, if you know today or know tomorrow, does it matter? Like, like, you know, getting the support to be able to hold the space, may be a better choice. So, okay. Next question. My wife, uh, and I are separated now for almost two years. We have spent some time together and I think I'm finally getting it as long as I can hear my wife and listen without getting defensive, but to validate her feelings. Early this morning, she sent me a text saying she was having dreams of my acting out again and acting out partners. She said she was crying and was tired of it. What can I do for her? I sent her a message that I understand her frustration and tried to validate her feelings. Well, if I were listening to that, I would say, how do I feel that this person I love is feeling overwhelmed, crying and reminded of all of that? And I would probably tell her, you know, I understand it's one thing to say, I understand your frustration, but I would actually say how it makes you feel. I feel really sad to see you still struggling with this. And I just so wish that you don't have to say, this isn't an, I'm sorry. This is, I just so wish that like you, that, that you will be able to find your way through this grief. Cause I care, even though I did this, I deeply care about you. In other words, you know, to me, I think, yes, validating someone's frustration is one step and it's an important step. But the other part is to say how you feel about what you're seeing and, and how that may, you know, really giving her a sense of that. So, and the rest is there's nothing else you can do for her. You're the person who caused the pain. You're the person who hurt. And I wouldn't try to go back in there with any big rescue or flowers or moonbeams because that's not going to help. We all have to work through our own stuff at a certain point. And, and, you know, I, I wish I could undo I can't tell you how many things I've said and done that I wish I could undo both for myself and other people, but you can't undo this. And so she's going to have to do go through her own process. And the best you can do is say, I'm so, so sorry that you're dealing with that. And it makes me sad. And I wish that you weren't, we weren't. I love that. If uh, this is an invitation for her, if she has not already joined the betrayed partner groups, I would invite her to join those. I think she would find that to be uh, safe support for her too. 
thank you for listening to this episode of Overcoming Betrayal and Addiction. If our words have led you to seek help, please reach out. You can always find us at www.seekingintegrity.com.